Well, welcome to the Huntsback Country Podcast. This is a Monday Minute episode, which are shorter, more informal episodes where we answer primarily listener questions. Steve, how are you today, man? Uh, good, good. A little bit uh, sore still from killed an elk last Thursday, <laughs> packing them out solo, but or Wednesday, packed them out Thursday. But uh, yeah, doing good. It was a good weekend with the kids. Took them to a Boise State football game, and uh, um, that was fun. My, other, my, my little boy was just a hellion during it. He wanted nothing <laughs> to do with sitting in a seat for, you know, four hours or whatever it was. But, yeah. Uh, oh, dude. <laughs> I, I, I saved this just for the podcast. So uh, he's, 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 Joey's getting body trained right now, you know? And uh, it was just me and him Saturday morning. And he's like, dad, I got to go pee. I'm like, all right, dude. Yeah, go pee. Uh, and I think I was like making coffee or something like that. And then uh, he's all done peeing. And I hear kind of like rustling around, like what's going on. And he has like, he has this little uh, like Sesame Street toilet, you know, that has like, um, it's just a little tiny toilet that you, know, mm-hmm. you lift the seat up and has a little bucket that you then pour into the, you know, the main toilet and flush it down. So I go in there dude, and he had dropped, he was trying to transfer all of his pee with toilet paper. So he like <laughs> got a big, he got a big roll of toilet paper, big wad of it, dropped it down into the, his little toilet and was picking it up with his hands, <laughs> trying to transfer it into the main toilet. <laughs> oh, I was just like, uh, okay, dude, well, that's not how we do it. But Let me show you like, a better a way for, to do that. Yeah. A for effort and being like thinking like, how can I get this liquid from here to there? But holy crap it was funny it reminded me of i was at a steelheads hockey game years ago and i would you know the obviously public restrooms events like that you know the men's urinals just get disgusting and some little boy was like next to his dad and dropped his pants like all the way down to his ankles and the floor was just covered in pee you know and he's like <laughs> shuffling along the floor uh and that the second i saw joey doing that just reminded me of like oh man there's gonna be some some learning curves here yeah that's uh, um, freaking hilarious but that's yeah funny. Was a, i was i was cracking up yeah that's great yeah i was gonna ask if you were sore because uh, as you said you killed that elk wednesday big pack out thursday i talked to you friday you were pretty trashed i was wondering if you had recovered yet now that it's monday yeah the most the the most sore part of me it was uh part of this hunt I, I motorcycled in about seven miles um and uh so my shoulders like you know single track trail coming out with you know four loads anywhere between 80 and 100 pounds like that just tears your shoulders up so that's probably the, the most thing that's uh sore on me the legs kind of recovered pretty quickly we I, I know that we've i don't know if we've talked about this on the podcast but i know that i've seen this question come through what do you do pack wise when you are when you have a heavy pack and you're on a motorcycle potentially would also relate somewhat to mountain biking or potentially on a horse as well but like for the sake of this conversation, how do you kind of adjust the pack? What do you do with those heavy loads to stay stable on the motorcycle? Um, I, yeah, honestly, it's just, I try to keep it depending on Idaho has a, a lot of trails you can use a motorcycle on. And some of them are v- very technical. Like, I mean, they're, they're, you know, sketchy to ride with no backpack on. Uh, let alone like, I mean, you, the difference between no backpack and just your 40 pounds of gear on your back is a huge difference. And then when you're coming out with a, you know, uh, all of a sudden an 80 pound pack or whatever, it gets, it gets tricky. Um, back in the day I used to have, um, we had Yamaha big wheels and Yamaha TWs, which, uh, they had like racks on the back of it and we'd strap the meat onto those racks 
And that was, um, that's fine if you're, you know, flat trail, easy going, but when you're on that technical mountain stuff with switchbacks, like you're actually, we found, um, just way better off with a lighter load and light meaning, you know, 75, 80 pounds on your back than you are having that strapped to the bike. Cause when you get, you know, when it gets technical, at least you can control the bike. It's, you know, you're not adding 80 pounds to the weight of the bike and making it really tough. So, you know, none of it's safe like i i'm like i'm very cautious when i'm doing that because it's i mean it's just uh just packing out this bowl i had i was coming coming down the hill and then my front tire like right at a left turn and my front tire i think my rear tire skipped and then my front tire um kind of slid out and then i dumped the bike on its side and you know if i had been luckily it was kind of a flat-ish spot where it wasn't too bad of a fall, but you know, you're, you're dumping the bike. It's falling on your leg. Meanwhile, you've got 80 pounds on your shoulders, like taking you to the ground. It's, um, it's sketchy, but anyways, um, yeah, the best thing I found is I just get the pack really tight to the shoulders. It's uncomfortable as I'll get out. Uh, but I, that's the best way to do it and just ride out. And then I, when I'm, when you're, you know, on the bike, I can kind of lean back and put the, the base of it on, you know, so the meat's sitting on the seat a little bit. So it takes some of the weight off the shoulders, but then it's still, it's tight enough to the body that when things get technical, I can lean forward and, and it's, you know, it's not loose on my back and I can, you know, kind of manipulate the bike to how I need to, you know, get up and down the trail. Yeah. Balancing stability. You don't want the weight moving, throwing off of your center of gravity, et cetera. But then, as you said, like, let the bike carry some of the load when you can, if it's not technical, let the weights, weights sit a little bit. Yep. But that's it. And for me, it's that 75 to 80 pounds. I can do pretty well. Once it goes over that, um, I remember I, I packed out a buck once with like, it was one of those one trip deals. And I think it was 115 pounds and it was just too freaking, it's just too much, man. It's just, it's just very dangerous. Like you're, I'm way better off with that doing, you know, say four trips at uh, 80 pounds than, than three trips all over a hundred or whatever. Dang. I, it, you said at least on I think Thursday alone you did like and this is hiking <laughs> and dirt biking but would you say like 47 48 miles 40, yeah yeah I started that morning um I had started Strava which is what I used to track you know mountain biking and, and training hikes and in, in the foothills around Boise or whatever and I'd started that just to track my I was just the intent was just to track my hiking the elevation gained that day and how many miles it took hiking just to get the meat back to the motorcycle and uh, but I had forgotten to turn it off. And I finally got to the truck at the very end of the day, right at dark, I pulled it out and was like 47.3 miles or something like, Holy crap. Jeez. That was a, a lot of miles that day. I think probably, I, I don't know exactly. I didn't go back and trace it by eight to 10 hiking. And then the rest was motorcycle, but, yeah. um, it was still each took four trips to get the meat up to the motorcycle. And I was, it was just over a thousand foot climb uh very fast like it was basically just straight up from from where i killed to the motorcycle uh so that was uh that was a good workout you know four thousand feet of uh heavy pack just climbing and brushy and dealing with the snow and ice and it was a it was a fun trip so you 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 shuttled all four loads up basically to the get get it bike accessible yeah yeah all the yeah i had no i had killed so I got on there Wednesday, killed the bull really quickly. Like I, within two hours of leaving the motorcycle, I got that bull killed, just got lucky and found one. And, um, I had gotten the meat all, got them all cut up and staged. 
went to bed and then I texted my wife on the inReach like I think I'm going to be home Friday. I have no idea how long this is going to take. You know, I'd never the route back to the motorcycle, you know, I was just looking on the maps going, all right, I should be able to walk over here, hit this little finger ridge and climb it up and then side hill into the bike. And it looked like the the route I had taken down to that point was not something, it was just brushy and crappy and it's not something I wanted to hike. So you just have that unknown variable of like, what's, how long is this going to take to hike there? And just trying to do all the math in my head. And then I didn't know how long it was going to take to meet, get the meat out. And anyways, it was like, yeah, I'm pretty much sure this is going to go into Friday uh friday midday but i was able to knock it all out in one day i was i just it was like a freaking marathon man i got out of the tent at 7 a.m and and basically wrapped up right at dark at 7 p.m and um it was i didn't stop for one second you know didn't yeah i was eating eating a snack it was like in between loading the pack and strapping meat on and going so i was trying to was trying to get home my wife uh needed me home friday to help with some kids stuff and if i wasn't there she's gonna have to call on grandma and so I was doing everything I could just to get home and be a good husband. And, and I was able to get it done. Nice. Yeah, I got to inReach. I, I think I sent you an inReach that morning, Thursday morning. Like, hey, how's the pack out going? Because we had been going back and forth Wednesday after you killed the bull and all that. And I think it was 2-ish p.m. maybe. And I got a message back from you of like, I just got the first load of meat back to the truck. But I didn't have all the details of like, Right. You shuttling to the bike and all that. And I'm thinking if yeah. that's like the first of three or four loads to the truck, Steve is going to be <laughs> out there a while. Because <laughs> it was like almost, uh, you know, almost 24 hours after you killed the bull. And I was like, oh, yeah, man, yeah. so low. And I knew the conditions <laughs> were rough. I'm like, dang. Uh, yeah, that was it was um, that night was uh, I don't know exact temperature, but on the end reach, it said it was 15 degrees. And um that morning packing out dude that was it sucks when it's that cold but you're working that hard because it's yeah it's tough. Um, you know it's like i'd get in my thinnest layer i did my first trip in like just no you know just pants and my thinnest layer and i was so you know you just sweating your balls off and then you, if you stop for like 30 seconds all of a sudden you know everything's freezing um and then uh so then the second trip i was like i put on another layer on top of that uh and that was the better combination um just because it was like yeah I, I was still hot no matter what climbing and then when i stopped at least it wasn't like instantly just shaking because from the cold but um yeah it was uh it was cool i was glad to get in there and get some elk meat and he's just a little raghorn five by five but i was more than happy to to shoot him and have elk meat in the freezer now awesome well to get into some listener questions for this episode the first one has come up a few times in the last week uh, one example, a guy wrote in and said, with the holidays coming up, I was wondering if EXO would have a sale for Black Friday or Cyber Monday. Um, yes, is the short answer. Um, we're still ironing out details. Most likely, we are going to launch our sale uh, the Monday before Thanksgiving. So not the Monday after what people call Cyber Monday, um, but the Monday before Thanksgiving. And we will share more details ahead of even that time frame. Um, the best thing to do is just make sure you receive our emails. Like if you're interested in this sale, it will be a limited time. Could go pretty quick. Um, just make sure that you receive our emails so you know in advance of the sale what the details are. We will communicate that and then also um, get notified when that sale actually launches. But that's pretty much... Uh, historically, the only sale we do each year that's kind of a public sale is 
for the holiday then. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, cool. Let's dive into a pack question. Um, this one came through via SpeakPipe. My question is about the fabric material used in backcountry packs. I recently shopped a lot of different pack brands, and it seems like many of the materials are crunchy, noisy, and brush. Yours seem to be much better than the others. But we go to all this effort to become stealth and sneaky and buy all this fancy camo, but yet still have packs that make a lot of noise in the brush. All right. So, Steve, about packs in general, um, ours, we can talk about what we do, but just the idea that, hey, if it's a hunting pack, shouldn't it be silent? Uh, what's your answer there? Yes, I'd love for um, a fabric to exist that was quieter than the 500 decoder that we use that uh, also has the same, you know, the probably the trickiest part is durability and waterproofness those like durability waterproof or water water resistance weight all of those conflict with like a, a fabric that's going to be quiet like that just doesn't go together right like anything that's going to be quiet is going to have a a more soft face fabric to it right that's uh you know think of a fleece or something like that so that's a going to be really heavy b going to absorb a ton of water uh, so the, it just it doesn't exist i have looked and looked and looked um and it's you know when we um when lenny and i first started exo it was uh like we were pretty adamant like oh we don't want to use 500d like that's everybody uses it there's got to be something better out there and uh you start just kind of looking around at what's available um i mean we certainly we looked everywhere and there's just everyone uses 500d for a reason it's it like this sounds funny, but to me, it it almost is the magical fabric that you're looking for. It it does a very good job at a lot of things. Certainly, one of the criticisms would be that it could be quieter, and um, it's just it's one of those deals. It is what it is. Like I said, if we um, if I wasn't worried about a lifetime warranty, I wasn't worried about weight, and I wasn't worried about waterproofness, water resistance, then yeah, you could go use something else. But th those other things take a way higher priority over being uh, quiet. Uh, and, and the reality is, you know, as a, as a rival hunter, quiet is a moot point. It, you know, you're, you're very rarely, you know, the noise of a fabric, I don't think is uh, maybe what, I mean, 30 to 50 yards. If you brush up against something aggressively enough that, uh, that an animal would hear that sound, I don't think it's, you know, so from a rifle hunting perspective, it's a moot point from a bow hunting perspective. I certainly like I've, I've been sneaking in on animals and you're trying to navigate through some, you know, pine trees and it brushes up against the pack. And it's, it's certainly more noise than you want. You got to be very careful to kind of like push branches out of your way. And I'll use, you know, use my body, which is going to have like a, a much softer fabric to kind of like push into the branch. So the pack is clear of it. I mean, something certainly you have to be aware of. But again, there's just nothing. Um, I haven't found anything else, anything out there that uh, is better than 500D. And there's some new stuff. Um, there's a new fabric out there called Challenge Ultra. Like they have a 400 and 800. Um, it looks promising. It's lightweight, but it's uh, it still just doesn't compare to the durability of 500D. Um, yeah, I'd, like uh, 
I've tossed around the idea. Probably would never do it, but it's like I'd love to. I could build this awesome pack that's you know one or two pounds lighter with lighter fabrics, uh, but you just couldn't put a lifetime warranty on it. The stuff's not. It's just not going to hold up. You know the the stuff we see our customers put the packs through. Uh, it's just. Um, people beat the crap out of stuff and uh it'd be it'd be fun to do a little project of like a limited edition pack of like all right here's a this is super light it's three and a half pounds but we'll put a five-year warranty on it because you know the stuff when you start pushing the boundaries that far uh it's just not going to last a a lifetime of use yeah and some of these like because there's more lighter packs coming to market and as you said durability is not going to be the same but also some of these lighter materials um, are not any quieter. Some of them are quite a bit. No, yeah, exactly. yeah. N- none of them are. They're all. They're all going in the opposite direction. Yeah, yeah. It was something related to that, Steve, that I think maybe gets overlooked, but is very intentional for XO packs. Is again, this is somewhat related. There's many reasons you do this, but from a design perspective, you also purposely keep things more narrow, and that helps reduce. Yes noise simply because it's you don't have the pack sticking out to your side so it's actually easier to sneak through things even if the fabric were theoretically make noise you're going to have less chance of contact because of the narrow profile yeah absolutely i i purpose i want things tall slender and narrow um just for just for that very reason you just on your back you don't want this i don't want to like a kind of a low wide profile i'd rather i'd rather go vertical above your head a little bit than go wide and uh and it just helps with mobility getting through the mountains yeah cool and weight transfer also like we talk about like i want you know we want the bulk of the weight between your shoulder blades not down low so that a naturally a tall narrow pack is going to kind of force that to happen versus a low wide pack Mm -hmm. um shifting gears let's hit this one this guy wrote in and said i'm planning my first backcountry hunt for next september in idaho um with my cousin this will be our first time hunting out west or backcountry hunting at all. Originally, I was planning on this being a rifle elk hunt. My cousin doesn't want to help hunt elk his first year, so he's going to bear hunt that fall. And he suggested that I do the same. He thinks we could bear hunt and use that trip to scout for elk on future hunts. What are your thoughts? So Steve, two guys, first time hunting out west. One guy was thinking elk. The other guy was thinking bear. Should they get on the same page and do the same thing? Should they go in with two options? What are your initial thoughts to the pros and cons of potential options for these guys? I, I The only factor I see here, I mean, elk is a little intimidating. If it's your first animal down in the backcountry, you know, just... Um, it was i've killed plenty of them and you know just on friday there you know or thursday i'm uh packing out an elk solo and that's a lot of freaking work so when it's your first even if you got two guys it's kind of intimidating for sure where uh you know the week prior i'd packed out a buck and it's like all right yeah just cut it up debone it hike out of there like piece of cake you know it's a it's so much simpler um as far as just getting the meat out but i don't the only thing i could say is are you trying to save a bunch of money and as a non-resident, certainly, I don't know, what's an elk tag in Idaho cost? 400 bucks? Has it no, gone up? It's, yeah, it's up. It's is it more? Five to six. Like with a license, oh, okay. I think you're all in it. With your license, you're probably all in it 650-ish. Okay. Gosh, it keeps getting more expensive. Um, so that, that'd be the only reason I'd say, you know, if, if you're trying to save money and 
you know, you're going to have some growing pains and a learning curve uh, for on your first couple trips out west hunting. So yeah, maybe if you're trying to save money on tags, but really the cost of the tag, you know, once you do the math on like all your gas and travel and, and all that, like the, you know, certainly when you're going to Alaska, the tag cost is like the smallest of all your other costs. It's like, ah, you might as well just pick up this extra one because gives you more opportunity. So I would be more in the, in the uh, camp of, um, like I'd come out, there's plenty of, I don't know if he said he was rifle or bow hunting, um, rifle. but either rifle. So there's plenty of areas where elk and deer are open at the exact same time. I would say elk and bear one, uh, no deer. I mean, okay. yeah, he's, he asked about bear hunting, but I would Correct. say fall bear is tricky. Um, if you wanted to do a spring bear hunt, I'd, I'd say, yeah, go for it. Um, but that also doesn't where you're finding bears in the spring is not probably not necessarily going to be, it wouldn't be a very good scouting trip for elk mm-hmm. in the fall. Like they're, you know, in my head, there's most of the country I'm finding spring bears in is not where I would go in October rifle, at least here in Idaho. Um, but uh, I would come out with like one guy buy a deer tag, one guy buy an elk tag. And then you're, when you're hunting, you've got plenty of opportunities. Like what, whatever you see, you can shoot between the two of you. I think Mm -hmm. that'd be a a very good strategy. And certainly uh, you get into October and you get some snow and stuff like we had this year, you go later in October, uh, which wouldn't be ideal for a first time backpacker. Um, (laughs) You're like like, talking yourself out of it. (laughs) Yeah. As I'm going through this, uh, you know, dealing with, like what I was just dealing with last week of snow and uh, 15 degree temps. Like those aren't things that you want to deal with your first time. So a spring bear hunt, that's a great idea. Go get yeah. your get feet wet and you can have some absolutely beautiful days. If you go in, you know, May where it could be, you know, 65 degrees and just yep. gorgeous. So it's the most um, economical yeah. option too. With some of the options For sure. in Idaho with reduced non-resident tags, like a spring bear hunt is definitely the, you don't have hunting pressure, obviously, of other seasons, right? So, yes, there's other spring bear hunters and, and whatnot, but it's not full-on elk and deer rifle season. So, you're going to have less people in the woods. It's going to cost you less with those reduced tag costs. Um, so, it's an option to consider. Yeah, I certainly think that'd be a, a good one. But again, it wouldn't be a very valuable scouting for rifle elk. Uh, other than, you know, you certainly, I could think of areas like, all right, the, the bears are going to be you know, it, in the same drainage or, or kind of mountain range area, but uh, they're just going to be kind of lower down in the spring, right? Um, mm-hmm. where, you're just still, where, where you'd probably hunt them in October is still going to be covered in snow in, in April, early May. Um, so it's just, uh, you could certainly be looking for elk sign and rubs and things like that and get to know the country. Just, just know that the, those two probably aren't going to coincide. Yeah. But again, they're being their first Western hunt. It may not be great for elk scouting, but it's going to be a great hunt the West prep. Right. Right. right? Like they're going to learn a ton. Yeah. And you could certainly pick like you could, I would pick where I wanted to go elk hunting, like narrow down the unit and then also like cross-reference that with bear harvest stats. Right. And then try to find an area that's like, okay, this place has, you know, it's a, good over-the-counter tag i can get and also there seems to be a fair amount of bears that's killed in here in the spring and then that you know that at least gets you in the country and within you know two to ten miles of where you're going to be elk hunting you know in the fall 
and you, you're going to drive the roads, get to see the country, get to know the country. Uh, certainly, I don't see any downsides to that. But um, yeah. yeah, coming out for a fall bear hunt in Idaho, I just don't see that many bears in the fall, man. I don't. I think that'd be a very low, low odds hunt. Yeah, I do. I love your idea of elk and deer because when I first heard this question my head immediately went to yeah having two options like two different species on the table is great especially for your first time um so yeah maybe you guys stick with the fall and do elk and deer as opposed to elk and bear or consider that spring hunt um and just double up on bears i think either of those options would be fantastic for a first trip yeah uh, let's dive into another speak pipe question, somewhat relevant for maybe some cold late season temps about sleeping system and clothing. When it comes to a puppy jacket and puppy pants, are you factoring that weight into your sleep system? Uh, meaning, are you packing a lighter sleeping bag or sleeping quilt and planning on sleeping in your puppy gear? Or is it strictly just for glassing? Thanks for all the info. All right. So to what extent do you consider clothing part of your sleep system or does it factor into what sleeping bag or quilt you choose for any given trip, Steve? Yeah, 100% I factored into it. Um, the Some trips, like when I said, when I just went out, I could have, I brought, I have the First Light Chamberlain puffy jacket, which is a, a very... Um, very good down jacket as far as cold weather and kind of uh, it's a little on the heavier side but when when you compare it to other options out there on the market it's uh, it's actually pretty good and then they're uncompagri puffy pants which uh, i'm a huge fan of not the lightest option out there but they they work they, they keep you toasty warm um so i absolutely factor that into if i'm taking that then i could i you know i have two different quilts i have a 15 degree quilt and a kind of a 25 degree quilt uh, and depending on the temps you know I, I absolutely would factor excuse me um factor that into it when i was just out it was supposed to be 15 degrees and i took my catabatic the alsec 22 um actually yeah it's a 22 I, in my head it's a 15 degree quilt because that's how it compares to the um <laughs> to the to light equipment one. Yeah. yeah um but uh uh yeah i took that and i was you know, it was 15 degrees and I was like toasty warm. I never even came close to kind of buttoning up the whole system, right? Like just basically slept in the, the puffy and kind of had the top of the quilt not really connected to anything. And I was super, super warm. I will reiterate for the one millionth time, your pad plays the biggest role in all of this. Um, if you, uh, you know, the, keeping the the ground away from your body and the amount of insulation between you and the ground has more of a role than anything that you're putting on top of you. So make sure you have a, a really good um, R value pad for this. On this trip, I took my, um, I have the S uh, not C to summit um, Thermarest Neo air uh, X therm. And it's like a, I don't even know what that thing is. An eight R value. I'll look it up. Um, I think it is seven or eight. Yeah. It's, um, just a fantastically warm pad and only 15 ounces. It's pretty tough to beat. So, yeah, but don't, um, our value of 6.9. Yeah. So that was seven. higher than that. Yeah. Um, anyways, yeah, don't certainly when you get into sub 20 degree temps, you need to kind of get into that 
at least five or higher um, in my experience uh, for an R value. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think five, um, four to five in that range is a good kind of do it all pad, but fully agree that if you're getting down into the teens or below, you want a bit more than that. You want to get up into seven plus. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, I feel the same way with a hundred percent. When you talk sleep system, everybody goes sleeping bag and quilt or I'm sorry, sleeping bag and sleeping pad. And that's where things start, but yes, clothing matters. Um, and then just the, the little ways that you, manage even going to bed right like keep in mind that when you are sleeping and you go immobile and you're getting in a sleeping bag sleeping bags don't make any warmth sleeping bags are holding in body heat and warmth and so ideally you're not going in really cold or really wet or etc like you're going into to sleep with some level of warmth already. And then the job of the sleep system is to trap and maintain that warmth throughout the night. Um, yeah, clothing matters for sure. It's one of the reasons for me, like with that same Alsec, the 22 degree, I use it for everything. I've had it in low single digits again with clothing. Um, and it, I think it's a great way to go, especially if you just want one good sleeping bag or quilt to kind of do everything, then yes, the the flexibility, the variability in how you use that quilt across seasons is largely dictated by choices alongside that of clothing and what you sleep in, for sure. Um, all right, to wrap things up, this... Um, this is a, not a question to answer today, but a question to throw back at you guys. For whatever reason, in the last week, we've gotten no less than four emails asking for more content on reloading. Uh, one guy, for example, wrote in and said, I'm getting a lot out of the podcast and I'm especially enjoying the ones you have done on reloading. You have a concise, informative, unbiased approach that offers much to learn whether one is new to the endeavor or has been reloading for decades. Please consider doing more episodes on reloading, particularly on precision reloading. So that's definitely something we can do. I just want to throw that out to uh, one, I'm replying to all these guys who are emailing in, but throw it out to you guys, the audience and say, what questions do you want answered? And for context, we, we started a reloading series a few years ago now and kind of laid the the groundwork um, of reloading and how to get started and the big overview of the process. One thing that's difficult with reloading is as you get more advanced, there's a lot of, you can do this or that, or you could do this if that. And there's just a lot of details where you can go way off the deep end um, and get really nitty gritty, or you can choose to keep reloading very simple and very high level. So I would just throw it out to you guys. We're happy to do more reloading content. I already have some great questions, uh, specific questions from these guys that have emailed in. But to you listening, if you have any questions on reloading that you want us to talk about, let us know what those specific questions are. Um, just send an email to podcast at exomountaingear.com or look for the link in the show description that says leave a message. And that's how you can use uh, whatever device you're on to leave us one of those audio messages. So... For reloading specifically, let us know what you want to hear. 
If you have any other questions uh, for future Monday Minute episodes, feel free to reach out and share that as well. And we'll be sure to answer those on a future episode. Uh, What else? I think it's it, Steve. Yeah, finally, don't forget, the sale is coming up here in a few weeks. If you guys are interested in any EXO gear, make sure that uh, you sign up to receive our emails. There'll be a link in the show description. Do that as well. And that's a wrap for today. Steve, thanks for the time. Yeah, thank you.